catch up. Yep, yep, I don't know, I don't know, I feel it. Could be fall for Greenville last night, we were there, saw you guys, tried to flag you down, but I, I don't think we got to you in time. Hey, mute the rest, it's about to get me. We'll see what happens. Could be, a, could be one of those days, man. Ten minutes behind, and we're still there. Maybe 30, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we kind of mentioned it earlier. So about five, six weeks ago, we started this kind of this idea of like who we are. You know, every couple of years, we kind of want to do it from a corporate setting of just like going over like, you know, how God's made us to be, who he's made us to be, why we're here. And uh, this is kind of the last week of it. We've, we've kind of talked about just, you know, bit by bit, just, you know, kind of our mission statement, so to speak, is we exist to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And so we, we started with like this idea of disciples. Like we didn't talk about how we did that, but we talked about what a disciple is. So if that's going to be a target, then we need to know and be aware of what that is. And that was week one. And and then we talked about just these identifiers of who we want to be, of, you know, we want to be people that love God, love one another, and love the city, and how that plays out from, like, an origins perspective, like how we intend to do that. Uh, and it's not an exhaustive list like this, you know, we haven't intended to lay out and say, hey, if you do all of these things, then you're going to be a perfect example of a Christ follower, but it's just from a family church perspective, these are the ways that we set out to do these things. And so from a corporate level, we do some things, and we talk about from an individual level how we do some things too. And then last week, we kind of circled back around to this idea of, of making disciples, and we wanted to kind of lay a starting point for that. And the starting point for a lot of us, if we are now linked to Jesus by grace through faith, the starting point is what he's done before this, the way in which he exposed his truth to us through people, through circumstance, uh, through, you know, all of these types of things. And so we talked about like our line, like if you were in community groups this week, we went over that, like who are the people that God used to, to change you? Who are the people that God used to invest truth in you? What was the result of that? And we kind of even posed that question, like, you know, imagination station kind of a thing, like go back and imagine if that person had not been in your life, they weren't there to invest that time, that space, that love in you, uh, what would your life look like now? And that's kind of a hard idea to try to figure out, but it's just, you know, it's fun to think about. Like if, if my grandfather, like I mentioned him last week, if God had not wrecked his life in the basement of their home in his 30s, and he gave up alcohol and abuse and gambling and all that in favor of Jesus, how would my life have looked different? Uh, you know, just those types of things. And so we look at the people that invested in us. But then we took it a step further, and we talked about those circles of influence. Like we've had people that have invested in us, and, and ways in which God used times and events and circumstances. But we have to acknowledge, too, that if we open our eyes and we look and see like Jesus, then there are already people within our orbits that either know Jesus or we're not sure if they know Jesus or we know that they don't. But either way, we have opportunities to invest in them the same way in which people have invested in us throughout our lives. And hopefully in your groups this week, uh, you know, you were able to talk through some of these ideas and who these people were um, and potentially maybe some first steps for you. Like, what's the first step that I can take to begin to invest in their life? Whether they know Jesus, or they don't know Jesus well, they don't know him at all, uh, or we just don't know. What are those steps? And so today, like, I wanted to, to take time and be as practical as we can. Because we've talked kind of about the mission of who we are, why we exist, some things that we do. But in the scope of discipleship, I think sometimes it's just like this ethereal place of we exist to make disciples. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what a disciple is. And then you, we still have that question, well, well what do I do? Today, in, in the very most simple form and fashion, uh, the goal is to just say, okay, if we're going to invest in people and make disciples, here are some ways that that can look. Here are some, some places that that can go and how we do it. Um, 
We're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. I want to reread uh, what we consider and call the Great Commission. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open there. And we'll have some fun graphics and stuff like that that'll come up in a bit too. And I will say, if you sat through Origins 101 or our membership class uh, five, six weeks ago, uh, this will be familiar to you, but that's okay. And if you've been a part of Origins for a while, some of the stuff you see today should be familiar. We hope it's familiar. Um, I think the adage is, when you're tired of saying it, people are just starting to hear it. And uh, I'm not tired of saying it yet. So, um, so hopefully, you know, you'll, we'll be able to all hear soon. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. This is one of those bookends that we talked about. The first bookend was we see it in the book of Mark. Jesus just kind of appears on the scene as an adult, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And this is the other bookend that we see recorded in the end of chapter in Matthew in the beginning of Acts, verse 16 of 28. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Like, this should be memorized at this point. Like, this is what Jesus left us with. Like, his parting words before he went back to heaven. And he still deals with us. Like, we're not deists by faith. You know, we don't believe that, that God wound a clock and let it run and step back. Jesus is still working. But as far as his earthly ministry, these were his parting words. These were his parting words to his 11 capital D disciples, but also his general disciples. The people that were standing on this mountain right now, very soon, they would be the ecclesia. They would be the church. They would be the body and the bride of Christ, living out the faith and the mission of Jesus on earth. And so that's who he's leaving this mission with. So don't for a second stop and think he's only leaving it to the, the capital D disciples, those that would be pastors and elders in the early church. No, he's leaving it to all of the church. All of us bear this responsibility. This should be in all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of us in entirety. This is our collective, our, the we mission to make disciples. And very often, I think in evangelicalism, uh, believe it or not, that's what we're in. A lot of times we believe that there's evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is the, is the portraying of the good news, and discipleship is making people into mature believers. But in reality, uh, evangelism and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. Because we see it in this place, the Great Commission. He says, look, uh, therefore, and the, the therefore here is because of everything that you've seen, everything that you've heard, everything that you've experienced, and now I'm telling you that all authority that is from God the Father, he and I are one, all authority has been given to me, now I'm passing it to you as a result of all of that from my first words until now. Therefore, go, make disciples, replicate yourselves in others replicate yourselves in others. It begins with the gospel, the making of the disciple, sharing the good news. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes through hearing. The good news must be heard, must be shared. It is a story that must come out of our mouths from the depths of our hearts so that people may hear and God may use that to call them to a believing faith. Make disciples, baptizing them, allowing them to demonstrate what they have experienced, their life change that they have walked into, declaring to the world, not just symbolically by faith and obedience as well, that I am now yoked to Jesus by grace through faith. I have been brought into his family by salvation, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, everything that you've heard, talking to the disciples, the proper and the general, everything you've heard me teach, now I want you to convey it to others. 
discipleship. Introducing people to the gospel. Through that, they meet Jesus if he works in them. And then from there, we teach them everything that we currently know about following Jesus. Whether it's a little, whether it's a lot, if we know more than they do, we convey it. This is discipleship. This discipleship. There's a couple things in there that I think are very interesting. Number one, he says, of all nations. Very often we read over that and we're just like, uh, you know, okay. All nations means all people, regardless of their socioeconomics, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of what they look like. These are the people that we're supposed to go to. The field is wide open. That means in, in common language, that's everybody. Everybody we should be sharing this truth with. And if you need to repeat it, everybody. Everybody of all nations. At this time, for them, that would have been a bit offensive. Because at this time, they still had enemies, like legitimate enemies. You know, I don't, a lot of times, I really don't believe that we have that, okay? Like, if you want to know what enemies look like, like this week, we look at Israel. We can see enemies this week. Like Israel and, and Palestine and Hamas, like they are at war. And I think that should move us to pray because the loss of life is, is great. You know, even if we don't get into the... the you know, the eschatological implications of all of that right now, just from this point right now, just thinking there are men, women, and children who are dying at the hands of war today, and we need to pray. We need to pray that war would stop. We need to pray that people would be delivered. Uh, we need to pray. So there's that. But if we, if we think about it, like the people of this time, they had enemies like that. We don't. But when he said of all nations, he even meant even your enemies, those who might want to kill you for the name that you mentioned. Those that might want to kill you because of your DNA. Those who might want to kill you because of the culture that you have adopted as a result of this Jesus. They had enemies, and he said, these are even in the all nations, making disciples, all the people. So he said that, but then there's another thing at the very end that I think we, we cannot miss either, and we'll bring it back up too. But he even says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, the latter part of verse 20. And he says, behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age or this age. He says, you're going to go. It's my authority that I'm passing to you. Go make disciples, see them be baptized, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, everything that you've heard from me, uh, everybody, and I'll be with you through it all. This is what Jesus left us with. He didn't leave us with be good people. He didn't leave us with... Uh, brush your teeth and say your prayers and take your vitamins, Hulk Hoganism. He, he didn't leave us with that. He didn't leave us with go to church every single Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. No, he said, therefore, go make disciples. That's what he left us with. He didn't leave us with moralism. Um, he didn't leave us with political ideology. He left us with a mission. He left us with a mission, a mission that he started by leaving where he had always been to come and stoop for 30-some-odd years so that we could see, know, and be known by God. And he said, now that I'm leaving, what was mine is yours. It's the mission. Go. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. That's why we have been rebirthed into this kingdom that we live in now, yanked out of this world and placed in his family. That's why we can cry out, Abba, Father. That's why we can look at each other and say, your brother and sister, we have the same dad, the same spirit that lives in us, the same Savior that saved us. That is why. Like, this is why we exist. 
It's not to grow big edifices and huge steeples and great buildings. No, it is to make disciples so that every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, then therefore grow in their understanding and maturity of following Jesus. That's it. That's it. And if we've been told that the church exists for any other reason, it was a lie. And I can say that with great, great emphasis. It was a lie. So I don't know what you brought in today. I don't know what baggage you have. I don't know what uh, stuff you've got going on. But hear me, if you belong to God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in you, this is our responsibility and our identity and our mission. That's it. And so as a result, sometimes the life and origins, it's, it's going to look very simple. It's going to look very plain because we don't want to put anything on your plate or my plate that will hinder us from doing just this. Just this. Simply following Jesus, loving Jesus, sharing his truth that he's conveyed to us so that others can follow Jesus, love Jesus, share the truth that he has conveyed to them and someone else, and so on and so forth. The hourglass, like that's, that's the point. What he's invested in me, when it gets down, I can flip it over and invest it in someone else. This is why we're here. And so in, in saying all of this, like that's the, that's the framework. This is the mission. This is the ideology. And so I, I want to give us some practical, like practical handles for this and what it looks like. Because we can hear this and be like, yes, I want that. And then we leave and we're like, I have no idea where to start. You know, however many syllables, we want to clap it out. But, you know, I never was good teaching my kids how to do the syllables. But anyway, um, like we need handles. We need tools, okay? And just like the rest of everything that we've talked about the past five weeks, this won't be an exhaustive list. It's a great starting place. It's some of the things that we want to give to you uh, to help you. And, and it's also there's some criteria that we'll give, and it'll make sense when we get there. But before we do, I want us to re- remind ourselves, like, of all the people that we can look at throughout Scripture, and we can ask, who do we look to to see how this was done best? hey, the answer is going to be very Sunday school. It's going to be Jesus, okay? It's always going to be Jesus. Like, if we want to know what it looks like to invest yourself into someone else for the means of replicating yourself in someone else so that they may replicate themselves in someone else, it's Jesus. It will always be Jesus. Like Paul to Timothy, great. Uh, Eli to Samuel, great. We talked about it last week. Um, Moses to Joshua, great. But Jesus will always be better, okay? They will always be shadows by comparison. And when we're looking at the life and the effect and the roles of Jesus, like I think we can break it down into three very, very simple places and structure that we can wrap our minds around. The first, and we've already talked about it, the first thing he did with his disciples is he called them. Like he literally called them and invited them into this relationship. Um, Like we see it in in Matthew 4. Uh, we, We see it in Mark 2. We see it where he just said, look, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We've talked about that. And that's where we get our working definition of what it means to be a disciple too, right? You know, it's someone that is following Jesus, someone that's being changed by Jesus, someone that's on mission with Jesus. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We see that he called Levi. We, we see that he called all kinds of people. But it was always an invitation for them to follow him. And so he called. And, and after that time of call, the second thing that we see that him doing with his disciples is, is he equipped them. Like he equipped them. Like, that's the way that he replicated himself in them, is like he equipped them. We see him equipping by teaching. We see him equipping by modeling. Um, You know, even a couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 13, which wraps up all of that almost in one nice, neat, beautiful bow of him washing the disciples' feet. 
Like, remember, he walked in the room, and he's the greatest in the room, but he makes himself the least, and he takes on the form of a slave, and he starts washing their nasty feet, like right in front of them. Teaches us a great lesson of what the gospel looks like and how we must believe and how we must allow him to serve us like a different side of humility. But then at the end of that, he he takes time, and he's like, did you see what I just did? Do you understand? He took time not only to model what their life should look like to the one another's, but then he taught them. Like he spent time teaching them. And he just said, what you've seen me do, you go, you do. He modeled, he taught. And the whole time, like the disciples, those 12, they're following him through it all. I mean, they're sleeping on the same rocks in the same dirt that he was every night. They're living off the little bit of money the same way he was every day, like this entire time. And like we talked about, sometimes he would issue a parable in that large group, big group setting, that corporate setting, and then he would pull them aside and he's like, do you understand what I just said? Let me explain it to you. Or like the woman that just gave a very, very little in the temple. He's like, do you understand why she gave more than all the wealthy people that came before, even though she just, she just gave a couple pennies? Do, do you understand? Like he took time. His equipping with them was like, look, I know these things because I wrote them, because I am them. Let me teach them to you. And I'm going to teach you by showing you, but I'm going to teach you by telling you. So he called them to follow. He called them to be changed. He called them to be on mission. But then he took time to to equip, to teach, to train. So he called, he equipped. And then the last thing that we see him do with the disciples, not the final thing, but kind of throughout, was he released them. He released them. Like he said, look, you've you've watched me do it. You've seen me do it. I've taught you about it. I've even taught you how to do it. And so now I'm, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. Mark chapter 6, we see him send them out two by two for the very first time in pairs. He's like, I want you to go. I want you to teach. I want you to get rid of demons. I want you to anoint people. I want you to do all of that. And I'm giving you the authority to do it. Understand, it's mine. I'm placing it on you. Go. Don't take anything extra because you're going to be provided for, but I want you to go. And they went. And they did. And they came back. And I have to imagine Peter was like a Jack Russell Terrier when he came back. And we've got one. Ours is old, and she doesn't do this anymore. She can't even see. She bumps into things, and she smells a little bit. But when she was young, as soon as you'd come home, she'd be on you, just bouncing on you. I just want to tell you everything. That's what I feel like Peter would be like right before the feeding of the 5,000. Comes back to Jesus. He's like, you won't believe it. I got to tell you, you wouldn't believe it. Healed, demons, gone, teaching, anointing, all that stuff. And they go away. He's like, let's calm down. Let's, let's go get away by ourselves to a desolate place. And let's just, let's, what we would call, let's debrief. You know, that's a popular word in leadership circles. Let's debrief. He didn't say that. He's like, let's get away and let's, let's talk about this. Uh, but they were interrupted. Remember? They were interrupted. They were interrupted by like the five to 15, maybe 20,000 people. And Jesus looks on them and he's like a shepherd with great compassion, but they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach. He begins to heal. And ultimately he feeds. But even in the process of feeding, he was still teaching the disciples. He called them. He equipped them. He released them the best disciple maker we've ever seen. And that's what he did. Day in, day out. Bit by bit. And I think we would, we would love to have like a, a textbook that's this thick, how to replicate disciples. But our, our textbook is the Logos. Our textbook is Jesus. He's our primer on what it looks like. The way that he invited people in. The way that he uh, gave them what he had. The way that he taught them the way that he released them to do everything they had seen him do except die on the cross. That was Jesus, our best disciple maker ever. And that's who we get to emulate. Now granted, let's go ahead and throw it out there. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. Like the Spirit of God lives in me, but I'm not God. So there are things that I don't know. I'm still at war 
Just like early parts of Romans, Paul's talking about why is it that I do the things I don't want to do? Why is it I can't do the things I do want to do? There's still this flesh and spirit battle within me, but that's okay. Because remember, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, I want you to go do this, and I'll be with you through it all. I'll be with you. And he even promised him, he's like, after I leave, it's going to be far better for you. Because there's a helper that's coming. We know him as the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He's going to live inside of you. Preceding Pentecost, that spirit descended on them. Didn't just come down for a little bit and leave like the Old Testament, but came to live and dwell and make a home in them. That's why we're now called the temple of the living God, the collective and the individual. We are the temple of God because God dwells in me. I am not God, but he lives in me. And as a result, I've already been granted victory over any sin that I may encounter, any doubt that I may have. Now, it's up to me to accept that and live in that. But even as it goes into making disciples, yes, I am incredibly ill-equipped as a human to do this. But as a result of by grace through faith, the seal that God has placed in me, which is the Holy Spirit, I'm completely able, completely capable. I just need to be completely accepting of it. That's my part of this sanctification. So he called, he equipped, he released. And so what do we, what do, we do with that? Well, I want to throw this up. Um, man, it got scrunched a little bit. Uh, this will go out this week if you want to look at it a little bit closer. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you, like, this, is not, um, this is not from any book in the Bible. Okay, This is a tool. It's a resource. All right, And so there are some ways that it will be flawed. It's just a way to help us think through what we're going to talk about uh, for just the next little while. This is a tool. Um, I got to go out west and hang out with some guys that, that kind of developed this way back in the day. And uh, one of the things that they said, ooh, that zoomed in really close. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things that they said is they're like, now we never show this to someone that we're, you know, discipling. And I've broken that rule. I've broken that rule hundreds of times. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Because we've talked about the target. The target is a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. Okay? We know what the target is. Uh, we see that Jesus was the best at it. He called, he equipped, he released. Um, and so we've got targets. But what we need now, what we need now is just kind of an idea as to, in simpler terms, what we do with it. And so one of the things that, that I do with this is this just helps me uh, identify where someone is in their walk with Jesus. Okay, this is just, you know, we, we talked about the line, we've talked about our stories, we've done all of that. This is just kind of a, man, it's a tool to help us figure out. Uh, at 12 o'clock, which is that straight up, uh, everyone comes into this life dead, spiritually dead. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and your son whom you've sent. By contrast, if we define by contrast, the absence of the knowledge of the one true God is death. So if we do not relationally, Genosco, know God, we are dead. We are dead. We are dead in our trespasses. That, that's the, that's, that's the, the reality. Okay? Without Jesus, we're dead. That's where everybody comes into this world. Okay? That's where we all start. So they're dead. Uh, what characterizes their behavior, like the innermost circle, is, is unbelief. They, they simply don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for their sins, he rose and conquered the grave. They don't believe that because if they truly did believe in that, relationally and invested in a heart level, they would be saved. And so hopefully that's where they go. Um, the top outermost ring right there is what they need. They need to hear the gospel. Like they need to hear the gospel. And, it, and this is not like a Normandy hear the gospel kind of a thing. Like the, you know, that, that may work sometimes. What we're talking about in the scope of like relational evangelism discipleship, like we need to know them, they need to know us, and maybe across a table, maybe on a golf course if you're one of those broken people, um, you know, whatever it may be, like they need to hear the gospel. 
And we've talked about it. Like, we've already been giving you tools, by the way, like your stories that you've shared in community groups over the past five weeks. Like, the gospel should reside in your story. If you're talking about what was my life like before Jesus, how did he grab my attention, how did I respond, what's my life been like since, the gospel should rest there. There should be a time in which we can convey, I saw what I had done wrong in comparison to God. Like, we call that sin. And God moved me to actually turn from that, to leave that behind and choose him instead. Whatever your words may be, same story, same Jesus, same gospel. It should be in your story. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. Preceding that, uh, God needs to hear it, doesn't necessarily need, I hate to use that word because I've sat in too many theology classes that, that make me not want to say that word, but God desires to hear our prayers for that person before we ever share the gospel with them. God desires to hear us say, I desire for them what you desire for them. I desire that they would leave their sin, choose you instead, and that you would redeem them. God desires to hear that because he desires that all should come to know him and that none should perish. And so if prayer is us agreeing with God, then we should be praying that well before we get a chance to do this, if we have the opportunity. And so we pray. I love my journals that, that I can go back because I've gotten to see God uh, radically change somebody. I love when I can go back and see like page after page after page of me praying for that individual. Not because I saved them, not because I did anything, but God had a desire for them and he made me privy to it and I got to agree with him in prayer and watch him change someone's life. Like I love that. I love it with my kids. I've got to see it with my kids. I love it with some other people that I call best friends now. I love to see that. Well before I ever got to share the gospel with them, I shared a prayer with Jesus that I desired for Jesus to change their heart. God desires to hear that from us. He desires for that to be our desire. And so we seek him in that in hopes that they will go from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. <laughs> they get to hear the gospel, and then they're born again, just like Jesus was trying to describe to Nicodemus in John 3. So when they're born again, believe it or not, uh, when someone's born, and we like to kind of juxtapose this about, you know, kind of around the idea of human growth and development, my psychology professor at Clemson did not pronounce word, the H at the beginnings of words. It was human. It was really weird. Um, but she was really smart, so who can argue with that? Um, everybody goes from born to an infant, like to an infant, in life. Same thing spiritually. Everybody goes from being dead to being born again, and, and you come into this world as, as a spiritual infant. And that's okay. If you are a spiritual infant, if you discover after all of this today that you're a spiritual infant, let me, let me, I want you to hear this. I'm incredibly glad you're here. I'm incredibly glad you're a part of this faith family. I am, I'm incredibly glad that you're making the effort to be here on Sundays, to be in community groups, to do other things that we're doing our best to do. I'm grateful that spiritual infants are here. Grateful. Just like an adult infant, a spiritual infant, um, they don't know what to eat. They can't feed themselves. Like I remember when my kids were born, like they couldn't do anything for themselves. I'm like, what is going on? You can't do anything for yourself. You just pee, you just poop, you just cry, you just sleep, you expect somebody to feed you. What is this? What kind of deal is this? But they were great. Don't get me wrong. They were awesome. They're not here this weekend. Um, they're staying with some cousins. But that's the way infants are, and that's okay. Because we celebrate when infants come into the world. Yeah, it's hard, it's difficult, but they need everything given to them because they, they don't know what to choose. They don't know not to touch the stove. They don't know not to eat dog food. I had to sweep dog food out of my kids' mouths so often. They don't know. And so a, an adult, a, a human infant needs everything given to them by a parent. A spiritual infant, they need that same type of thing from a spiritual adult. They need to know, hey, this, this is good, maybe this is bad. You know, don't touch that, go after this, those kinds of things. Just, you know, just life exchange kind of a thing. And to be, to be honest, like, if you're sitting here and you're a spiritual infant, you may forget everything that I've said when you leave today. But if you have coffee with someone tomorrow who you had coffee with last week, who you're going to have coffee with next week, and they're telling you the same things over and over, there's a good chance you're going to remember it from them. 
And I hope you hear what I'm saying. I do. But, but I know you'll hear it from someone that's relationally tethered to you, investing in you as a spiritual infant. Their, man, their language, their behaviors is characterized by ignorance, not in a bad way, but just, there's just so much that they don't know. It's the very same reason that Jesus took time to equip the disciples, regardless of their lineage. He was like, look, there are things that I know that you don't, so I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to model for you so that you can understand. Because right now, you boys, you 12, you don't know squat. But you know me, and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to teach you. With spiritual infants, man, that's what they need. They need your life. They need to hear truth from your life, and, and they need new habits. You know, a spiritual infant, maybe you're sitting here as a spiritual infant, and you've never heard. If you've been here, you have, so you haven't been listening. Spiritual infants, uh, here's the difference between you and a real baby. You can actually read. You can actually listen, and you need to begin to. You need to read Scripture, even the stuff that you don't understand. Hear me. Even the stuff that you don't understand, you need to read. You need to spend time. You need to create the habit of being in God's Word, even on the days that you don't feel like it. Even in the days in which the coffee is cold, it doesn't taste good, you're in a bad mood, you still need to develop the habit of spending time in God's Word. Spiritual infants, you need to hear it. And so they need that. And so we go from infant to like the child stage. And I celebrated this in, in our house. When our kids could go from, uh, you know, having to, you know, the bottle being held, you have to hold the baby, you get the sweat stain. It was great. I loved that. I really did. Uh, but when you could lay them on the floor and they could hold the bottle, man, that felt like we had just won. We were like, we have made it. Or when they potty trained, we were like, oh, man, college, I don't care, 401K, I don't care. They just went to the bathroom all by themselves, and I didn't have to do anything. Those are great days. If your parents and your kids haven't made it there, just wait. It is so good. It's like you got a raise and you can't even put a dollar amount on it because it's that big. It's really good. So when you, go from, when you see someone go from spiritual infant to spiritual child, their life changes because they can begin to do things. They can tell the difference between dog food and Cheerios, okay? And, and they can eat Cheerios unless they really like dog food and sometimes they're going to choose it. But, you know, they can make these different, you know, choices, Children need different things than infants do, or at least a, a greater degree of those. Um, they need to be connected to God. We can use bigger words with more syllables. We can put more on their plate. We can allow them to choose and then offer correction. Infants really don't understand correction. Spiritual children can. You know, when they do something wrong, we actually explain to them why they did it wrong. Parents, you remember that stage when you could actually have a conversation with your child about why they shouldn't do X, Y, or Z? And it made just the lights went off? And you could say, look, I'm telling you not to do this, but I want to tell you why I'm telling you not to do this. Because if you step in front of a car in the middle of the road, it's going to run you over and you're going to die. I know that was a very extreme example, but I had to have those conversations with my kids. And the lights went off and they're like, I don't want to die. And we're like, good for you. Spiritual children, they need to hear the same kind of language. Regardless of if they're 12, 25, 45, 75, or 85, it doesn't matter. We actually need to be able to connect them to God in ways that they can understand. And so that means as a discipler to a disciplee, that means we have to work a little bit to understand them. If you're not a spiritual child, which most likely you're not, if you're investing in them, you have to get on their level and figure out what they need. You know how you do that? You ask questions. What do you know? What do you not know? Um, what's your life look like? Where's sin in your life? What are you doing with it? Those kind of questions. And then when they bring it up, as a discipler pouring into a disciplee, we can actually say, hey, you don't need to do these things, and here's why. Not just because God said no, but because he wants the best for you. You know, why don't you cheat on your wife? Because God wants marriage to be a sanctifying agent, not a corrupting agent. 
you know, why don't you look at these things on the internet, men? Again, because God desires pureness of your heart. It's not a parts issue, it's a heart issue. You know, wives want, you know, or women want, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to throw out something about women because I might hear, you know, appear incredibly and sexist, so I'm not going to do that. So, men, I'll just continue to talk to you, men. Why don't you speak angrily to your wife? Don't do that? Well, God desires that you should love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up as ransom for it. There's a reason behind every do and do not in Scripture. And when someone's a spiritual child, we get to share that. And so we connect them to God. Uh, we connect them to family. As babies, babies, you know, they hang out with each other. That's mainly for the parents' sake. Babies don't know each other. But as children, they do. They love to play and frolic and do all of those kind of things. Okay? We connect spiritual children to one another. Here, we do it through community groups. Like if you're a spiritual child and you're figuring out how to grow, you don't know what that looks like, get in a community group. Figure your life out. Make the sacrifices that you need to make. And I'm just going to be blunt with you. Figure it out. Get in biblical community. Sundays are great. This is awesome. We love this. We celebrate this. But this is not the all-end-all of biblical community. Like our best entryway into that is always going to be community groups within Origins. It's always going to be that. That is, our, that is our modus operandi. That is the way we're going to operate. If you're not in one and you call yourself a part of this family and you've been through Origins number 101, then you've missed something, number one. But if you call yourself part of this family and you're not in one, do what you need to do to get in one. Because that's, man, that's where we get to know each other. That's where we get to be known by each other. And that's where this kind of stuff starts to happen. Relational investment with one another, spiritual child or not. What characterizes their behavior as a spiritual child? They're self-centered. They're selfish. They're still egocentric. The world revolves around them. Because they haven't grown beyond it yet. They don't know that the worship style is not about them. They don't know that the teaching is not about them. So they're prone to church hop. I'll just be honest with you. Hey, I'm, I'm, my needs aren't being met, so I'm going to leave. That's a spiritual child. I'm not jumping on anybody right now. I'm just pointing it out. Because you may need to know that's you. Somebody didn't like that. We're going to keep moving. Connect them to purpose. You know what grows a child into a young adult from a spiritual standpoint? Responsibility. Responsibility. Like biblical responsibility. Place it on them and see what God does with it. See what happens. It's the very same way we've grown some of you and you just didn't know it. Thank you. It's the very same thing. Maybe you got approached to, to teach children back there. It's a way to grow you. It's not just about the kids. Maybe you got asked to lead a community group. It's not just about the community group. It's about you. Maybe you got asked to do this, that, or this. It's a way to grow you. You have things in you that we see, and we're like, okay, we're going to utilize that, and also God's going to use it to grow you. So anyway, connect them to purpose. And then we see them grow to, into a young adult. The young adult stage, um, this one's fun. A lot of enthusiasm here, a lot of availability here, uh, a lot of opportunity here, and gifts start to kind of rise to the top in this young adult stage. Um, responsibility can be placed on them a lot heavier, or on you a lot heavier. Uh, you can be equipped for, like, real ministry. That doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor, but it means that you can serve, and that means that you start to see your gifts, and you, maybe you even approach somebody in leadership say, hey, I've, I've kind of got a passion for this. Um, it, it may be a gift. What do you think? What should I do with it? Well, here you go for ministry because you can handle it now. You're able. You've got some depth. You've, you've got some, some time in the saddle. You, you have some, uh, you've got some sweat that you've earned and some blood that you've poured following after Jesus. And it's time to be utilized, like legitimately utilized. Young adults have the ability to, to work, which is great. 
which is incredible. Each one of these are great. Don't hear me saying that one is better than the other because we all start here and the goal is to grow, okay? The big difference between the child, the child type spiritual estate and then the young adult is what's char- what they're characterized by. They go from that egocentric where everything revolves around them. God matures them to a place and we're like, you know what? None of this was about me. Oh my gosh. It was about Jesus. It was the whole time. The whole time. And so preference doesn't seem to matter as much anymore, but mission does. Time and availability are made. Sacrifices are made. Generosity starts to rise and bubble up. Those kind of things start to happen. And we need to celebrate each one of these. When someone goes from infant to child, we celebrate it. When someone goes from child to young adult, we celebrate it. When someone goes from dead to born again, we celebrate it. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, some, one of our folks, and they're not here today, so I don't have to throw their name out, and they wouldn't want me to anyway. They're mentoring in one of our local schools. Yeah, three weeks ago, they led their mentee to Jesus. That's why we do it. 11-year-old kid. Boom! Anyway, sorry. We want to celebrate those things. Uh, sorry. That, yeah. Child to young adult and then to parent. What do parents have? You can answer this. What do parents have that young adults don't? What? Children. Children. Boom. Infant, child, young adult, parents, parents reproduce. Parents reproduce. Spiritually, yes, parents reproduce. They're investing themselves in someone else. The hourglass kind of a deal, again, like God's investing in me, I'm flipping it over and I'm investing in someone else. It doesn't mean that along the way these other stages don't do that to a degree, but in the parent stage, like, that's their goal, that's their life, that's what they're after. Okay, they want to see people give their lives over to Jesus. They want, remember that love your neighbor kind of a thing, wanting the same ultimate good for your neighbor that we want for ourselves? These people understand, man, uh, the ultimate good for that person is Jesus, and I want them to experience that. I want them to know him, be known by him, make him known. So I'm going to invest everything that I can. I'm going to prayerfully seek their salvation. I'm going to do all of that as a parent. Now, parents, man, need to be released to, to go and do it, you know? If, if you've ever been approached and say, hey, would you, uh, would you consider starting to meet with, with this person um, on a regular basis? You know what we're asking you to do? We're asking you to parent them. Because we see that you're capable. Or at least we think that you are. And so we're asking you to do it. And so we're asking you to invest. Uh, parents have the ability to explain uh, the d- discipleship process, how this all works, the replication idea. doesn't necessarily have to be this will, but just this mission that we've been called into. Um, They're intentional with the people that they're with. They have strategy behind that, like parents. Yeah, parents are awesome. They're great. If we had had a faith family just full of parents, though, we'd be in a a mess. That wouldn't work. So we don't want that. As as origins, like, we want all of these within our faith family. We want all of them. Because parents get to invest, young adults get to invest, children get to be taught, infants get to be grown, all of these things. And that's what the family and the body of Christ looks like, and that's what we want. I will give you one little kind of caveat about this. Um, this is not necessarily linear. So what I mean by that is someone could be walking around as a spiritual parent and life jump up and kick them in the teeth and they go right back to being an infant tomorrow. Right back to being an infant tomorrow. So what do we do with this? Okay, our next slide, the chalkboard. It's coming. There it is. Here's our goal. It, really, really simple. The will the will is, is, is neat and useful this. You don't have to use it. But our goal is just simply X plus one. As a faith family, it's just simply X plus one. And X is wherever someone is spiritually. That's the variable. 
wherever they are. The will helps me with that. It may not help you, but it does help my brain with that. Just to sit down and talk to someone and figure out where they are. Where they are. And then my goal is to help them move one step. One step in their maturity. X plus one. That's my goal. And I think it should be yours. It, it makes discipleship far simpler. Okay, it doesn't put this impetus on us that I have to get them to scholar level, scholar level by next week. No, I just want to see them grow and take one step. It may just be confessing sin on a regular basis. It may be leaving this one sin behind. It may be taking on this spiritual discipline. Whatever that plus one is, that's our goal. Like we invest for, in people just to see them take that one step in growth. You know, God working in them, partnering with them, and their part of sanctification to grow and to take on what God's trying to teach them, what God's trying to show them. And he's probably doing it through your voice or my voice. We want to see them grow, take that one step. Like, so if they're a spiritual infant, like, just making it incredibly simple, our goal is to see them grow beyond that to where they can actually start to feed themselves a little bit so they don't rely on being spoon-fed by someone else. They can begin to start, pick up Scripture, and, and you'll hear the signs of this. You know, they'll say, hey, I was reading the Bible uh, last week. And you're like, you were? And they're like, I was. You're like, man, that's really good. And this sounds really cheesy. But then they say, and I feel like God was telling me this in this particular passage. And you say, well, hey, let's read that and let's see. Let's make sure. They started to feed themselves. One step. Or someone says, you know what? I realize that this behavior, fill in the blank, whatever it is, I realize God didn't want me to do that anymore. I told him I was sorry. And I didn't want it anymore. That's one step. Maybe life jumped up and kicked that spiritual parent in the teeth and they went all the way back to infant. You know what we want for them? Just one step. Same thing. Goal's still the same. Just, just one step. It may be confession. It may be discipline. It may be diligence. It may be rebuke. Whatever it could be. Look at the way Jesus did it. He did a variety of things when he called, equipped, and released his disciples. Just for, just for one. One step at a time. One step at a time. I heard a guy one time saying, we, we need to stop celebrating first downs in Christianity and only celebrate touchdowns. And I was like, you are wrong. <laughs> you are so wrong. Number one, sports metaphors are lost on people. But number two, you're incredibly wrong. Man, if someone's marching down the field towards maturity in Jesus, we need to celebrate the mess out of it every opportunity we get. But the best way that's done is across the table. Like a proverbial pat on the back, but one that you really mean. Hey, good job doing that. Good job doing that. So what do we do? What do we do if that's our goal? Okay, a couple things. Uh, we have our discipleship groups. Okay, the discipleship groups are super, super simple, but maybe you don't have time for one of those and you're, you're kind of going a bit more organic. Uh, here, here are kind of like four ways that I would suggest. Like if you want to invest in someone or if someone's invited you into a relationship and they just want to spend time and pour into you, whether you know it or not, uh, like four, four quick things that I would say. Number one, like, we generally keep these on the back table back here, these life journals. They're soap journals. I'm a big fan of soap. And, like, number one, baths are good and hygiene's good, but SOAP is, is an acronym for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Okay, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. These journals, they teach you how to do it. They give you a reading plan. You read, like, three to four chapters a day. Okay, in the course of a year, you'll get through the entire Bible. But if you miss a day, it's okay. You just pick up on the next day, and you keep going. And so when you read a passage, this is not asking us to subjectively judge Scripture, but we read a passage. But before we do, um, we stop and we ask God, God, um, just show me one thing I need to see today. 
one thing I need to think better on, one thing I need to give up, one thing I need to change, but just show me one thing today. And you're probably reading from three or four vastly different places in the Bible on that given day. So it's not quite linear. This is what I do almost on a daily basis. Okay, I've kind of amended it. It's not in one of these journals. It's one of my own. But basically, I, I read three different chapters of the Bible every day, and this is aside from study. And, and I just started. I'm like, hey, God, um, and not quite that you know, nonchalant, but with reverence. But I'm just like, show me just one thing today. What's one thing I need to see? And to be honest, like if I was going like percentage-wise, 60% of the time, there's something that jumps out. But then there's the 40% where I'm like, I didn't see anything today. I'm okay with that. I still write out my prayers for the day, and I'm still going to pray, and I'm still going to be grateful that I spent time in God's Word and got to know something new, that kind of thing. But either way, it's just like, show me one thing. It may be one way we need to change our thought. It may be a sin that we need to lay down. It may be a practice that we need to pick up. It may just be that we just need to think better about who God is and what He's done. A few weeks ago, I, was, I read a psalm a day and then two other places. And just, there was just this little place that I've read so many times. But basically, it was like God delights in hearing from us in prayer. I needed to hear that. Like, I needed to hear that because sometimes my prayers get very formulaic and very practical. And I needed to remember that God actually desires to hear from me on a daily basis. He desires to hear from his kids. The same way when I pick up my boy from school, I want to hear about his entire day. Even though that, that pinball is going to bounce around his brain and give me 30 different topics in 45 seconds. That's okay. I delight in it. I love hearing it. God's the same way. I needed to hear that on that specific day that it's not about, you know, not just about what I say, but it's about the fact that I say it and God wants to hear it. I needed to hear that. So soap is one way. These, these journals, we're about to run out. There's a few on the table back there, um, but we can teach you how to do it without one of these. Super simple. If you want this one, you can take it off this table before you leave. Um, you may just do like a linear study with somebody. You may just say, look, uh, I, I just, I just want to read through the book of John. Okay, let's get together every Tuesday, read three chapters this week. We'll get together and we'll talk about it. Similar idea. Read th three chapters of John and what stands out. We're not trying to find different interpretations of Scripture. We want to be realistic and see that Scripture says what it says, and we're not you know, making light of that. But he may be speaking to you something in those three chapters that he speaks something different to somebody else. You can ask four simple questions with that if you want. What does this teach us about God? What does it teach us about man? Uh, what do I need to do, and how can I pray? Four simple questions. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach us about man? What do I need to do? How do I need to pray? Four simple ways. Any, almost any place that we read Scripture, we can ask those four questions and do our best to answer them. Some days it may just be three of those get answered. Some days it may be all four, but either way, we can learn something about God, or we can learn something about man, we can learn something we need to do, and we can learn a way to pray. Okay, four simple ways. It may be like you're, you get to know somebody really well and you know that they're struggling with something very, very specific. And so uh, if you can figure it out, great, but maybe you reach out to leadership and say, hey, um, I'm, I'm doing life with this person right now. I'm investing in them and they're struggling with this. Is there a specific book that could help us in this? Book studies are generally not my first go-to, I'll be honest, because you can pull five authors off a shelf and they can say five different things about the same thing. And so sometimes I don't like them. But there are ways to judge the criteria. There are, things, there are standards in place, and we can help you do that. Like if someone is struggling with lust, if someone's struggling with infidelity, if someone's struggling with alcohol, if someone's struggling with depression, if someone, X, Y, Z, if they're struggling with something and you're meeting with them on a regular basis and you want to read something with them to help them and you can't figure out what that is, just reach out. Just ask a question. Don't go to Google, okay? Just come to your leadership. Talk to your community group leader. If they don't know, they'll talk to someone up the chain. If they don't know, they'll talk to us. Or you can just come right to me. We live in a church structure right now that's not very complicated. You got my, got my phone number on my email. Just shoot me a call, a text, an email, smoke signal. I don't care. We'll go with those. And then maybe storying's another way. We like storying. 
Storing's a great way to say, hey, we're going to read this story. We're going to come back the very next week. We're just going to retell it in our own words. And then we're going to ask, did I leave anything out? Did I add anything to it? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? What do we need to do? Simple. Here's the four criteria for whatever we do with people. Number one, is it biblical? It has to, it, like, it has to be not just based on Scripture, but it, it needs to be like rooted deep in Scripture. So if it's a book that you're using, it, it's got to be rooted in Scripture. If it's a podcast that you're listening to, got to be rooted in Scripture. If you're listening to a sermon series from somebody, got to be rooted in Scripture. Is it biblical? Okay, we don't want self-help, that kind of stuff. Self can't help self. Self is busted and broken. Jesus can help. We want Jesus. Okay, it needs to be biblical. Second thing, is it sustainable? This is important. If we're meeting with somebody week in and week out, and we're asking for 10 hours of work a week, it's not sustainable. Okay? Doesn't need to be 15 minutes. Doesn't need to be 10 hours either. Is it sustainable? Is it something that we could roll with for six months, eight months, nine months? Is it sustainable? Can you do it? Can they do it? Third, is it reproducible? We leave this one out a lot. Is it reproducible? This is the reason that I love soap. I can teach somebody how to do this in one week. And then if I meet with somebody for six months and I feel like they've grown to a place where they can take somebody else in, they can teach somebody to do it in one week. It's reproducible, and it's biblical, and it's sustainable. I like it. I like it. Can't beat it with a stick. The fourth thing is this. Is it authentically relational? Like, are both parties required to speak for this to happen? Is it authentically relational? Are you required to get to know each other for this to happen? Because I promise you, the impact that Jesus had on his 12 would not have been nearly as massive if they hadn't gotten to know each other. Like, he's our chief disciple maker. The reason that, man, they heard and they hung on to every word, number one, he was God with skin on, and it was magnificent, but at the same time, he knew them. He understood them. They understood him. Maybe not in its entirety, but they knew him. Is it authentically relational? You think about that last scene between Jesus and Peter on the beach, and Peter had returned to fishing, which is, man, I love that, just that idea that, man, when sin comes in, we go back to who we were if we forget about Jesus. He went back to fishing, and Jesus was just kind of on the beach. He's like, you guys catch anything yet? And they're like, oh, no, really reminiscent of the first time they met. And then he kind of gave them some direction. They caught a bunch. But then they came on the beach, and he already had breakfast going. He didn't need the fish they caught. He already had some. And he sat down with Peter just kind of after this, man, Peter's amazing failure of denying Jesus. When people would ask, do you, you know this man? Were you with Jesus? No, I'm not. I'm not with that man. Are you out of your mind? No. Ask him again, same thing. Ask him again. He swore about it. He's like, no, absolutely not. And that rooster crowed. Peter went out and wept because he was broken over his sin. Jesus and Peter on that beach. He just said, hey, Peter, do you love me? He's like, you know I love you. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Just a little while longer, grilled a little more fish, and he asked him again. He's like, Peter, do, do you love me? He said, Jesus, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He asked him a third time. He's like, Peter, do you love me more than these? not talking about the fish, talking about those that were around him. And he says, Jesus, you know everything, and you know, you know that I love you. And he said one more time, just take care of, take care of mine. Feed my sheep. Wouldn't have happened without a relationship. Wouldn't have happened without the, the days and the weeks and the months leading up to it. In that last moment of him saying, look, Peter, I know what you've done. 
I know that you've repented, and I'm telling you that it's okay. You're okay now. It's been forgiven. Just go. Just go live out the mission that I've made you to live out through the relationship that existed, just one face to another face, one heart to another heart. Jesus built the church. Relationships are vital. The gospel is vital. Truth is vital. We get to share it all together. Together. A couple things I would ask you to do. Think about the wheel a little bit. And for you, like as an individual, kind of think about the idea of infant, child, young adult, parent, and just ask the question, where am I? Like you, like where am I? Here's, here's the part that gets people sometimes. They think they're farther along than they are. But then they come to a realization, they're like, maybe I'm not. Because I still think a lot of this is about me. So maybe I'm not as old as I thought I was has no, no bearing on how long you've been following Jesus. It's about how you've been following Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've been lazy with it. And I'll just be honest. Maybe there are times in which we're lazy. And laziness does not produce growth. We will never drift into maturity. It doesn't happen. Hear me. We will never drift into maturity. It takes intentionality. And so for this, from an individual standpoint, maybe you realize I'm, I'm not as far as I, I thought I was. Maybe you need to seek somebody to invest in you. Maybe never, somebody's never invited you in. So maybe you, you go to somebody that you know in your life that's further along than you are and say, hey, this is an awkward conversation, but I feel like you know some things I don't. Could you help me know those things? Pretty simple. It doesn't have to be super awkward. Maybe they'll say yes. Maybe they won't. <laughs> Hopefully they will. Hopefully you will. And then you sit down and figure out where you are and just say, I, I just want to grow. But it starts with figuring out where you are figuring out where you are. And then second to this, like if you, this is not hubris or, or pride or anything. If you can look at this and you can realize that, that you are a ways around this continuum, you know, that you're not sitting an infant. You're not sitting a child. You're a little bit farther around. You know, you're kind of in that young adult, maybe that parent stage. Um, maybe you just need to ask the question, like, who, who can I start to invest in now? Let's go back to those circles last week that we filled out. This is all connected. Go back to those circles that we filled out last week, and you're just like, oh, this person, I know they're a believer, but they're not very far along. I'm, I'm a bit further along than they are. Maybe I, can just, maybe I can just start meeting with them, talking with them. Who do you need to invest in? Who is it? And then if you need help, just ask. Just ask. This is why we exist. This is why we exist. That's it. I think the life of following Jesus is so much simpler than we ever really thought it was. We think it's a list. We think it's a, this big old box that we have to pull these things out of. But no, it's just this. We have been made new by Jesus. We get to live that out and see other people be made new by Jesus. That's it. That's it. And Jesus says, I'll give you everything you need to do that, including himself. So how about we just do that? Let's see what God does with our city if we just do that. Let's see what God does with our homes if we just do that, our workplaces if we just do that, our neighborhoods if we just do that. God, we love you. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who's the best at this. 
God, I pray that we can do more than we can, more than we can just learn from and we can trust in, trust in him to call us, equip us, release us so that we can do it in others. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would grow and be refined as a result. Thank you for inviting us into your mission because honestly, God, I know we don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. But God, you've made me worthy and I can't thank you enough. God, I pray we take uh, with full understanding the responsibilities you've placed on us. And we do it with joy. We do it with perseverance. We do it with intentionality and we do it for the glory of our God and Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for putting us in a city that so desperately needs you. I pray that we could see it the way you do. We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. We've got a, a couple of announcements, and then uh, we're going to have the doxology announcement.